Who are we? You sure you want to know? We're your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts, Sean and Peter. And welcome to the very first episode of So Much to Tell, a Raimi Spider-Man podcast. Welcome once again to So Much to Tell, so named because when it comes to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man series, there really is so much to tell. And this show will take a deep, deep, deep dive into the world of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. No stone will be left unturned. We'll tug on every thread of this tangled web to see where they all lead. That goes for the movies, the games, the novels, the merchandising, and more. We're looking at the themes, the characters, the philosophies, the filmmaking, the storytelling, the feelings we get. Everything is on the table here. I kind of think of us as lifelong students of these films on a constant and never-ending quest to understand them more and see as many perspectives of them as possible. We hope you have fun and get something new out of these films. And with any luck, Peter and I will help each other realize some new epiphany in this very episode, and in every episode to follow. Having said all that, our entangling of this web needs to start somewhere. We put a lot of thought into what would be our inaugural topic, and at the end of the day... We had to go with what Peter himself said at the very beginning. This story is all about a girl. That girl. The girl next door. Mary Jane Watson. Oh boy. All right. Okay. (laughs) What do we think about that? Do we think Peter's right? Is this story really all about a girl? I mean, it's not called Mary Jane Watson, the movie. I, I, I certainly don't think it's all about her in that it's not her series of movies, but certainly she's the, I would say one of the most important characters besides uh, Peter slash Spider-Man. I think she certainly plays a pivotal role in every movie. She clearly motivates a lot of what Peter slash Spider-Man does. Uh, You know, the movies just couldn't work without her. So I do think that maybe not all about a girl, but pretty significant portion. I I think that's, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. Um, But I mean, in some ways, a lot of times I know, uh, she sort of made out to be a little bit more of like a goal, sort of an end state for Peter. Um, I mean, I'm, I think a little bit of, say, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's called Raiders of the Lost Ark, but the most interesting part about those movies isn't the Ark, it's Indiana Jones. That's why you can have more of them without the Ark, and people still show up, because we're here to see Indiana Jones. The Ark is just a thing mm-hmm. he's trying to get. Yeah. It's cool, and it's it, interesting, yeah, that's... but it's not uh, all about the Ark. That's an interesting comparison. I, I do think that this series of movies, um, and honestly, a lot of a lot of rom coms, a lot of other kinds of movies do this whole thing too. You know, they it's that's the whole point of the movie is about them trying to get together with uh, their crush or their object of affection. So I think the movies certainly play that up. I mean, it's a good dramatic device because I mean, let's face it, as uh, human beings, we all have had those. Uh, you know, especially in school, but even later in life too. Like you know, we get those crushes, we get those. You know, the the whole picking the petals off the flower thing. I mean, there's always that there's, there's something very relatable about that feeling of um, will they or won't they, does this person like me back? Do I like them? Do I like them like them? I mean, it's, I mean the relationship drama, I think, you know, I think they make it work really well. I still think maybe all about a girl is a little bit misleading. Um, Certainly everything that happens in these movies 
serves Peter Parker's character specifically. I mean, there's a lot of interesting characters that surround him. But, you know, I think about something that uh, Cliff Robertson, you know, Uncle Ben, said in Mark Cota Vaz's Behind the Mask of Spider-Man, Behind the Scenes book. Uh, he makes this comment that, you know, for this movie, I wasn't the star. I was part of the mosaic. And I think that's a good point here. I mean, that's, you know, for as interesting as a character as MJ is, uh, as well flushed out as I think she is as a character, uh, she is part of the mosaic that revolves around Spider-Man. I, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, it's mostly all about a girl in the sense that it's all about a boy yeah. <laughs> who is transfixed by a girl and is constantly inspired by her. I mean, she's more of like a catalyst to Peter's story. I, I think that's a great way to put it. I think, uh, again, I think she in her own right does and says and gets to do a lot of interesting things in these movies. But I also think ultimately, yeah, it's this is all viewed through uh, Peter's perspective. So... You know, at least in the first movie, especially, I mean, it seems like he's kind of breaking the fourth wall or maybe not breaking the fourth wall. I don't know if that's the right term, but certainly he's talking directly to the audience and it makes it seem like this is him kind of reminiscing or relating this series of events that happened to him. And mm -hmm. certainly he's he's the one telling the story. So he's telling us it's all about a girl. So in his mind, this whole series of, event of events was all about Mary Jane. Oh, yeah. And, you know, her influencing him. And you know, does make it about her as it is through him. So it's a very, yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. But I would agree with that 100%. And I think we can almost sort of really step through that, you know, to really see it. Because she is there influencing and encouraging Peter, you know, actively or indirectly uh, through pretty much all the major parts of certainly Peter's origin story. And then uh, throughout his journey in the entire series as well. Yeah, that's, you know, the way the movie sort of, you know, uh, introduced the two of them together is very interesting because I think it says a lot about both of their characters and their shared relationship, or at least what we can imply of their history together within that universe. I mean, when we first see Peter, he's uh, running after the school bus. You know, it didn't stop to pick him up because, you know, the bus driver clearly used to have it out for him. Yeah. And Mary Jane's the one that goes up to the driver and tells him to stop and pick up Peter. So, yeah. We see right from the get-go that Mary Jane has a very, you know, I'm sure she's very caring toward everybody, but she certainly has an especially caring attitude toward Peter. She didn't like seeing him get uh, picked on like that, even just by the bus driver. So, well, you know, she has powers like Peter. Peter obviously has superpowers, but she has this popularity that she can use to influence people. And it's to... just like this ability to leverage her popularity and influence over others to get things accomplished. Sure. And that, you know, she certainly has that power. Yeah, but, I mean, she does have power, and she uses it responsibly. You know, she stands up for people that need it, like Peter. So, like, Peter is either invisible to everyone, or he's the object of their ridicule. Uh, except MJ. I mean, MJ does see him. Yeah. She doesn't just not join in on the ridicule. She actively seeks to stop it. Some people in the in-crowd, you know, who are popular and cool, you know, you would think they would totally ignore anyone outside of their social circle. And she doesn't like, you know, she actively stands up for Peter. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and later on when they're on that field trip to the, uh, I think it's Columbia University, you know, that's where I think she really starts to drive the plot in a more direct way because Peter's taking pictures for the school paper and he gets Mary Jane to sort of pose in a few of them. He clearly is smitten with her. So I think he's enjoying spending that kind of little extra time together. And then she's enjoying it too. She's, you know, mugging for the camera. She's 
you know, being playful. She's, I think she's enjoying it. And it's like, she seems relaxed, I think, in a way that we don't see her with uh, with her boyfriend at the time, Flash. I mean, she certainly seems a lot more... Yeah, that's a good point. She seems yeah. a lot more annoyed or just, you know, she's always irritated at Flash's immaturity and his, uh, you know, sophomoric antics and those sorts of things. And she seems a lot more relaxed and happy and just more... She just seems to be smiling a lot more around Peter, which I think is uh, certainly a sign of things to come. Hmm. So, yeah. So just right from the start, we see this interplay between Mary Jane and Peter. I mean, yeah, there's an awkward moment when Peter thinks that she's waving at him, but it turns out she's waving at one of her friends. Uh, yeah, a little. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. You I know, that's, that. uh, <laughs> you know, it's just so it's a perfectly cringy moment. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, as he's taking these pictures, then that he's so enthralled and focused on her, th- this like large red and blue pretty freaky unnatural looking spider Mm -hmm. has time to come all the way down from the ceiling land on peter walk over to just the perfect spot and then bite him yep uh he he doesn't know us at all so we can thank mj for spider-man yeah but uh the next thing we know he's waking up uh looking himself in the mirror and acknowledging that there's been a a big big change. change yeah and then after admiring himself pretty much the first thought is like okay you know like he's you know he stops to look at mj which i think is you know a cue to the audience that you know that's what's on his mind yeah. is that it's like the first thing he's thinking of i mean i like to think that peter doesn't go all rear window on her all the time i like to think that it's just sort of like more of a visual shorthand for us to know that you know what's on his mind is that now that i have these powers first thing i'm going to do with them is pretty much go and try to impress mj first off you know maybe now she'll see me so let's let's try it out now and then when he gets into this fight with flash well, even before that you know one of his first great feats is uh saving mj the very first person he saves yep, save, is, saving uh, her from uh when she slips in the school cafeteria yeah of course that ends up uh leading to him decking flash in the halls which again peter feels pretty good about he's like wow this is pretty sweet until he sees mj it's seeing mj in her sort of shocked, concerned face. What do you think she's thinking in that moment? I really do think that she's off-put by this person that she has some sort of image of. Yeah. Like, suddenly being the more violent person than Flash. I mean, can you imagine that? That's that's a strange incongruity to suddenly see from this person. You never would have expected them to be more violent than Flash Thompson. Interesting, yeah. But I think in that moment, she's sort of looking at him like, who are you? Kind of a thing. And seeing that look on MJ, though, does sort of put things into perspective a little bit. Like Harry, I mean, Harry's totally all on board with me. He's like, wow, that was amazing. You know, but there is something about MJ that's like, this isn't you, you know? Hmm. Yeah. You know, and uh, that does cause Peter to stop and sort of take stock of what's happened. Yeah, no, um, I, I would absolutely. So that's another big moment in his early development that MJ, you know, ends up directly affecting. Uh, he goes out and tries to figure out, yeah, who am I now? And realizes he has his, these great powers. Um, soon enough, then, you know, they have that great backyard connection where they get to talk. That's when they start to have this uh, really, really wonderful heart-to-heart uh, conversation with each other. And they have probably this biggest connection that they've, that they've made in years. You know, it seems like in this moment, I get that feeling. Already, you know, she realized the, the color of his eyes. Now she's referring to him being taller than he looked. So there's some sort of, you know, more intimacy than they've had in recent times. I, I, I um, think that's, I, I would agree with that 100%. I think you know, it's almost like she's 
taking stock of like, wow, like Peter's actually, he's not half bad looking. He's not, he's actually a pretty, uh, pretty cool looking dude. And then certainly, you know, that's immediately after that is when Peter continues his plan to impress MJ. And he's like, well, she seems to like cool cars. So let's get a cool car. That montage there when he's like um, formulating this plan to go to the wrestling ring and get the car and win all this money to impress her. The visual montage there is really cool because we see it, it, it clearly tells you what's on his mind. It telegraphs mm. what he's thinking in those moments. And we see Mary Jane's picture come up uh, quite a few times there. Oh, yeah. It, it was <laughs> very obvious that uh, you know, this was all everything he was doing in that moment was uh, was designed to all try to a girl. win her affection. Yeah. Um, you know, inadvertently, that's what uh, that's what leads to him designing his Spider-Man suit, you know, ultimately coming across the name Spider-Man. And of course, then that ultimately ends up to his first huge mistake of uh, not accepting the responsibility, you know, responsibility owed to others because of the power he has. So, yeah. So next thing we know, Peter is at the, the wrestling arena and, you know, has that very, very tragic falling out with Uncle Ben. And uh, certainly he pretty quickly regrets uh, how he left things with Uncle Ben before the carjacking and you know, the rest is history. We all know yeah. that he takes a new approach to his powers and he, you know, resolves to use them for good. Yeah, and so he becomes Spider-Man. And what what Peter tries to do and what Spider-Man tries to accomplish, you know, are sort of intertwined here with, you know, a lot of his feelings with MJ. You know, as he spells out to MJ later, MJ helps him see the kind of man he wants to be, which is what Uncle Ben warned him about this time. This is the time when when a man changes into the man he's going to become for the rest of his life. Um, so as Peter's changing into this adulthood, you know, it's MJ there and his you know, he's trying to be the person that he needs to be to be what she needs to be is, is a big part of his development, as he spells out directly to her in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the goblin is wise to that. Yeah, uh, certainly... Goblin figures that out, and yeah, at the, at, at the end of their, you know, of their vicious fight to the death um, at the very end of that movie, it's Goblin threatening Mary Jane that ultimately allows Peter to summon that last ounce of strength to defeat Goblin once and for all. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that threat that propels him, you know, to, to get the upper hand in that fight, and I just think, you know... That's the power of love. I just think that's such a wonderful... I, don't, I I just like that, you know, I just, you know, I mean, ultimately, because how many times have we seen in, you know, warfare, for example, you know, they tell the soldiers, you're, you know, what are you fighting for? You're fighting to protect your home. You're fighting to protect what you hold dear. I mean, mm. you know, you're not just fighting for your country, but you're fighting for the people you love. I mean, that's what you're really, that's what it comes down to. And so I think Peter, as much as he likes, uh, you know, protecting New York City or, you know, saving, you know, um, civilians on the street. It's really, at the end of the day, Mary Jane just more than anybody else can push him to those heights of things he never thought possible. And you know, defeating Goblin in that fight, it didn't seem uh, like a given at, at first, but he makes that threat, and I, I'd say Goblin regretted it by the end there. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that's so it just shows where Peter you know, draws a lot of his reserve strength from. You know, it's certainly MJ. Exactly. And then, of course, it's MJ in the end, too, you know, denying the ability to have a romantic relationship with her that sort of solidifies, you know, his commitment to being a hero, to being responsible, to being an adult, and 
to being the person that he needs to be for her. Because, you know, as far as he can tell, this is the safest, healthiest, best thing for her is to not be with her. And so, you know, that by doing that at the end, he's finally taking up that full mantle of the responsibility he's taken for himself. As, as painful as it is for him to turn away from that relationship with Mary Jane, what he had wanted for all those years, he put that responsibility above that. And I think that's, you know, such a powerful moment when he walks away from the grave site there and just that responsibility theme is playing at such a powerful moment in that movie. Yeah. And I mean, hey, speaking of the film score, too, I mean, the score, the main titles opens with a couple notes of the love theme. That's that's the first thing we hear played on those high strings is the love theme, hmm. just to sort of drive home on every level that uh, this is a story all about a girl who helps to influence him into becoming Spider-Man. And, you know, it goes from that love theme into Spider-Man's theme. Hmm. So she's integral to Peter's entire origin story, you know, and then obviously it's a huge part of his life after that, trying to balance out the feelings he has toward her with the commitment he has to being Spider-Man. I mean, if there's one thing that would make him give up being Spider-Man, it, it's being with her. You know, it's just he just wants it that badly. It means that much to him. Mm -hmm. And even then, even after he goes through all that and comes back to the conclusion that, no, I have to be Spider-Man. It's what's right. It's what's needed from me. Even though his mind is in it, his heart still completely isn't in it yet. Because he decides to be Spider-Man before his powers have really come back. And it's not until he has that moment with MJ toward the end of Spider-Man 2. It's not until like she's threatened again that finally like mind and heart are once again in alignment and Peter, you know, he clenches his fists that Spider-Man power comes back to him again. Um because once again, you know, it's better for MJ if he is out there being Spider-Man. You know, it's better for everyone including her. You know, that's again where his reserve energy all comes from is from, you know, the importance of MJ. For what it's worth, I think uh, Mary Jane certainly doesn't uh, just stand by and let Doctor Octopus kidnap her and you know hold her hostage uh, without without a fight. I mean, she oh, yeah. she gets a few uh, swings at him, you know, during that final confrontation there, which I think is really cool. Just... Honestly, for as much as MJ gets saved by Peter in these movies, which by my count is six, if we include uh, the little slip in the cafeteria, which we probably shouldn't, hmm. um, she. You know, puts up a fight against the muggers. She comes across in the street. She does take a piece of debris to sneak up behind Doc Ock. She isn't exactly the meekest captive around Doc Ock either. Uh, <laughs> no. She chucks a darn cinder block at Venom toward the mm -hmm. end. So, I mean, she definitely, uh, in a lot of ways, does, you know, at least try to hold her own as much as you can against supervillains uh, as a mortal. No, that's what I mean. Like, you know, um, for given what her her capabilities are in those situations, I think she does a very uh, valiant job of fighting back. You know, and again, they're ultimately both heroic in a certain sense. You know, Peter, obviously a uh, superhero, and there's a lot that he gives up. Um, kind of similar to how they both have powers, and, you know, yeah. hers are not elevated physical powers, but just like, you know, Peter's heroic acts are more what you would expect from somebody that's an enhanced individual. Mm -hmm. Hers are heroic in her own way. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, she's been endangered through her connection to Peter multiple times by this point. You know, her life's been at risk. And she still decides, you know, isn't it time somebody saves your life? 
you know, she she puts it upon herself, despite all the danger that it'll cause, the turmoil, that she wants to be with Peter. She knows Peter wants to be with her, and she's willing to make that happen. Mm-hmm. She's willing to literally run away from the altar on her wedding day to make that happen. I mean, True. which is, which I mean, again, like you know, think about it. It's like this isn't just any wedding. This is a wedding to a relatively affluent individual. They probably put a lot of time and effort into planning it, and it kind of takes a lot of guts to like walk away from that on the wedding day. I mean, that's yeah, you know that that's very courageous on her part. I mean, it's definitely not easy to do that. Yeah, and I believe John Jameson's a great guy. In any other film, you know where John Jameson would be the protagonist. You know, he, he has that great moment at the end where, you know, MJ's on the pier, you know, and he gets out of the, the police car all heroically and, you know, leaps over to her and climbs up the steps and has this big hug with her. Like, all the visual language is saying, like, this is a, this is a hero, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's been, you know, desperately trying to find where this madman took her. And, you know, he, now they're reunited, you know. I think we have all these indications that he's a great guy. You know, he cares about her. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they would have had a good life together, you know, but in the same way that Peter's given up a lot, you know, in his quest to do the right thing, uh, MJ's giving up that particular part of her life for Peter. You know, and then at the end of the day, you know, as she tells Peter, you know, isn't it time someone saves your life? Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge turning point in his life, too, when she takes it upon herself to, you know, despite the danger, be there for him. After two movies of building up that tension, of building up that suspense, they're finally in a relationship, and we kind of see um, that it's maybe, it's not all, um, as uh, one song once put it, rainbows and butterflies, you know? Yeah. Um, that doesn't go particularly well, no. You know, Peter wants to propose to her, spend his life with her, but, you know... By the way, how old is Peter when he wants to propose to her in that movie? I mean... If we, you know, calculate his age, say, like, you know, he's 18 in the first movie, maybe he's right. 20 in the second movie. What is he, 22, 23 in the third movie? I think it's just one year between two and three. So I think that would make so him 21, e- which, yeah, is... Even younger. That's, seems a little young to get married. It's especially young for someone in his situation where doesn't have, like, a steady job, you know, he or he isn't making a lot of money. He lives in that fairly run-down apartment. He hasn't graduated college. He doesn't have a job lined up. I mean, I, I just... That's true. He should have taken Aunt May's advice. You know, they didn't want to... You know, her and Uncle Ben didn't want to get together with nothing to count on but love. Exactly. It's like even Aunt May's telling him, like, oh, maybe you should wait a little bit, kind of build up your you know, your savings, kind of get your life together. I, I don't know. It just seems a little... Not abrupt, but certainly there's just so much you don't know about about the future at that point. And I, I it's kind of interesting that um, we see Peter at that age, and he's all, he's all gung-ho. Yeah. He's a little big for his britches in Spider-Man 3, and that's, you know, the story uses MJ to sort of highlight that, because we followed this relationship the whole time. MJ's the perfect way to help us realize, oh, wow, this something's off about Peter, based on this whole relationship. This this isn't going quite well, even <laughs> though, like, he, he still feels like he loves her just as much as he does in the other ones, but um, but there's definitely a separation growing based on where Peter is in his life right now. Well, there's this edge to Peter in the third movie that she hasn't really seen before. But honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I think you could really relate it back to the first movie. You know, when he beats up Flash and she gives him that look of like, who are you? Like, you know, this isn't the Peter I know. I think in the third movie, certainly, especially at the jazz club, when he gets into the fight with the bouncers and ends up hitting her, she kind of gives him a similar look with a lot more 
weight behind at that time, but still, it's like kind of that same idea of like. And she says, "Yeah, who are like, you? Who are yeah. like, who are you?" So it's kind of an. I'd never thought about that, but I think there is a little bit of a connection there. And both times, it's that look from Mary Jane of like of horror and disgust at like, "Who are you? Like, this isn't the Peter that I know." That makes him stop and finally reconsider, like, yeah. what's going on here? Like, I I need to I need to make some changes. You know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be a person that pushes Mary Jane away like that. Yeah, I mean, both times, especially that last time, you know, that's what it takes for Peter to realize, you know, he's strayed far from the good person that she knows and loves and that we, the audience, know and love. And then, you know, that puts him right back on the the right path, you know, a path toward healing and reparation and growth, you know, as the trilogy ends. Another thing about Spider-Man 3 that I thought was interesting about how they used Mary Jane was they kind of get back into this love triangle yeah. that we saw in Spider-Man 1. And Mary Jane is feeling lonely, and she kind of is feeling down. Peter's not giving her the emotional support she needs. So what does she do? She's like, you know, Harry was always there for me. He, you know, maybe it's because, you know, he was, he's been acting all nice and uh, goofy, be- you know, after, uh, after his fight and his uh, conk on the head. But, but anyway, like, obviously... Um, things go south real quick because uh, Harry and Mary Jane kind of kiss in that it, during that scene and she leaves. And then Harry, um, you know, when he and Peter are finally having their confrontation, what really puts Peter over the line there is when Harry tells him, oh yeah, Mary Jane kissed me. I can taste her lip gloss, strawberry. And that's what pushes it with Goblin in the first movie there. Um, it was a comment about Mary Jane that, you know, really gave him that new surge of energy. Well, in this movie too, it's just in a much darker way. Again, that comment about Mary Jane is what just pushed him to a new level of ferocity. Yeah. Hmm. So I think his love for her can, you know, kind of give, it can really push Spider-Man to do amazing things, but his jealousy or, you know, the the downsides of love can really push him to do uh, horrific things too. So interesting how in the movies they aren't, they aren't shy about, you you know, showing us both sides of the coin there. Oh yeah. And now I really want to focus on, who MJ is as a person, as her yeah. own mm-hmm. character now. And, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Do you, do you hear that sound? Uh, is it that, like, white noise I mentioned earlier? No. No, <laughs> no of course you don't hear that sound. I'm going to add it in post. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we didn't plan this. <laughs> But you know what that sound means, Sean. But our audience doesn't. We like to play a little trivia game each episode called Brilliant or Lazy. We come up with the hardest questions we can to find out if we're brilliant or lazy. Peter, why don't you take the very first round of this game? Oh, okay. Okay. I'll give it a go. Okay, Sean. For the inaugural Brilliant or Lazy trivia round. I'm ready. I'm ready. We all know that MJ's play in Spider-Man 3 wasn't received very well by the critics. Mm-hmm. How many stars did the Daily Bugle review give the Manhattan Memories? I'm going to guess three out of five, because if I recall, they it was more or less like, well, the play itself wasn't bad. It's just you couldn't hear uh, Mary Jane beyond the first row, so that kind of took away from the enjoyment of it, but I feel like they said otherwise it wasn't bad, so I'm going to guess a three out of five. Three out of five? Well, that's that's pretty generous. That's Interesting. It is actually, in fact, only one and a half stars, presumably oh, wow. out of five. Yikes. Ah, tough uh, crowd. But you are right 
in saying that, uh, I'm actually looking at a picture of the prop here, the prop newspaper, and they do say that um, entertaining and easily forgettable Memories isn't a bad production by any means, but neither is it the fantastic and groundbreaking musical it is hyped up to be. <laughs> uh, and then the article ends by saying, "Jeez, this is not the worst musical ever, which is sort of surprising based on how much they trashed MJ herself over it. But, you know, but this is not the worst musical ever. The bloodthirsty around Broadway will be sorry to hear. It's not even the worst in recent memory. Of course, drawing any comparisons to this show proves tricky. This is a show that manages to be dispiriting and tiresome all at once. What it, you know, it just, it seems like it's too generous for one and a half. Like I could see that yeah. two or even three, but one and a half though, I feel like it'd be even more uh, critical. But well, my question for you all right. is not going, well, I guess, I guess that makes me uh, lazy, but. Uh, according to the parameters of the game. Pretty close. So. Um, my question for you is not going to be quite as funny, but <laughs> you know, I still, I, I'll still be curious to see if you get it. Right, let's um, have it. so we just talked about, uh, the scene in Spider-Man three, when, uh, Mary Jane, you know, feeling down, she goes to hang out at Harry's house Yes, and they're making, they're making an omelet. Mm-hmm. What is the song and the artist who sings it, uh, that is playing while they're making that omelet? Uh, I've listened to the Spider-Man soundtracks way too much not to know that that would be the twist by Chubby Checker. Okay. Uh, bonus points. Oh. So you're brilliant on that. Yes. Um, bonus points. Can you tell me what year or years that song uh, hit number one what? on the chart? Bonus points. Uh, bonus points. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know, 1967. I'm just sort of taking a shot in the dark mm, here. You're close. Uh, it was 1960 and 1962. Interesting. Ni- wait, 1960 and it charted again in 1962? That is correct. Yeah, it um, hit number one on the pop chart two times uh, in two different years, which is an incredibly rare achievement. Well, uh, the second of those two years I notice being the year that Amazing Fantasy number fifteen debuted with uh, everyone's favorite wall crawler, Spider Man, nineteen sixty two. I guess I I should have thought uh, I should have tried to pick a different question. I I wasn't sure if you would get this or not, but man, uh, <laughs> I uh, boom. Yeah, that was. <laughs> no, so you are definitely brilliant there. All right. So, so far it's Peter one, Sean zero, but I'll make a comeback. I guarantee it. <laughs> well, we'll have to stay tuned for that. So as promised now, let's look at MJ herself. You know, MJ as a character, Mary Jane Watson. And um, I will say up front that MJ has experienced a not insignificant amount of trauma in her life. And, you know, we'll we'll be discussing that a little bit. Um, not to a great extent, the actual traumatic experiences themselves, because the movies never really divulge too much specific on that, but more so how they affect MJ. This poor girl has been through so much in, in these three movies and um, a lot for anybody to deal with and take in. Um, e- any one of these events would be a lot. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In in some of the behind the scenes content of Spider-Man 2, uh, Avi Arad, you know, one of the producers of the movie, you know, he mentions that, you know, we wanted to move on in a way that we still beat up Peter Parker. Peter Parker has to be beat up all the time, put to the test. Job, love, life. It's like real life, end quote, what he says. So, you know, we're constantly beating up Peter here. And I have to say, the same thing is absolutely true for MJ. I mean, if there's anyone no, out there. No doubt about it. Yeah, like whose life could it possibly be worse than Peter? You know, the old Parker luck, everything constantly going wrong for him. It's got to be MJ. 
that's very true for MJ. Um, but outwardly, it doesn't look like that, at least not in height, you know, in that first movie where we see her in high school and she's hanging out with the popular kids, getting picked up by friends in fancy cars. Yeah. You know, has the jock boyfriend. You know, she's clearly at the top of the social hierarchy in that, you know, in, in that high school setting. But certainly it, so I think that definitely masks a lot of what's really going on beneath the surface there. Yeah, because I am so interested in the, the parallels that MJ and Peter have. You know, like they, they both wear masks. Peter has a literal mask, but MJ is clearly putting on some sort of facade. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of give a little bit of her history, I think that would certainly provide some nice uh, context here. But, um, you know, Mary Jane, her family moved to Queens next door to the Parkers when they were very young. Uh, Peter, you know, mentions that he first saw her when they were about six years old. That's when he uh, famously, you know, called her an angel when he was talking to Aunt May about her. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, they seem to be they seem to have been friends. They probably went through school together. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that they sort of diverged and, you know, started to fly in different, you know, different social yeah. circles when they got into high school. And that's that's what's interesting is that behind the scenes, Kristen Dunn said that, you know, her and Tobey Maguire discussed it. And the way that they play the relationship is that they were childhood friends and then they sort of grew distant as they got closer to school, uh, high school and sort of separated into their little groups. Now. I mean, that's all well and good to say, but like, unless it's in the text, unless it's specifically brought up in the movie, it is, it's not much more than like a theory or like a behind the scenes detail. However, in Spider-Man 2, uh, you know, MJ mentions that they've been best friends, quote, all these years, end quote. Uh, and because there's no more than two years between Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, yeah, I'd hardly say two years qualifies as all these years. I think that does sort of reinforce the idea that they were childhood friends growing up, or that we can infer that they were childhood friends growing up. I think so. Or maybe if, even if they weren't close friends, I mean, they were always never too far apart from one another. You know, in school, just you know, living next door, I think, kind of has that effect. Yeah, I mean, always aware of each other. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, even if they weren't hanging out together all the time, or they weren't doing stuff together on a daily basis, I mean, there's no doubt that they clearly were in each other's... Uh, galaxies enough that they were always aware of what the other one was doing yeah i mean we can see it she's even aware enough with harry i mean of course they start dating at one point but even before that you know she just offhandedly knows his name you know help him harry she's obviously well enough familiar with peter and harry to know their names exactly i mean they there's uh yeah i think they definitely kind of play up this idea as we mentioned earlier maybe they knew each other or were friendly but they never really connected until that moment in the out or in the backyard there when Mm. You know, they're just both trying to figure things out for themselves. Hmm. Peter's got his new powers. He's trying to figure out what that means for him. She's trying to figure out what her post-high school life is going to be like. You know, if she really has what it takes and if she really wants to pursue, you know, her acting and singing dreams. I mean, that's a real, I think now that I think about it, like they're both just trying to figure themselves out as well as their own relationship in that scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two young adults getting ready to make their way into the big city. Exactly. Start their lives. Yeah, so she does come from a pretty rotten home life. Yeah, um, you know, that backyard uh, connection scene is set up by or precipitated by, you know, a very loud fight going on in Mary Jane's house. I don't know if it's Mary Jane and her father that are going at it or maybe it's Mary Jane's mother and her father that are fighting. But as I said, I think it's in school where we kind of see this facade that Mary Jane puts on of like, you know, being the popular girl and not giving off any indication that she has this pretty difficult home life. I I know, again, um, uh, Avi Arad. Uh, the producer, I'm quoting him from um, Behind the Mask of Spider-Man, where he says, you know, I liked Mary Jane, an abused child who cries on the inside but has to look perfect on the outside. But she has optimism galore. She's going to be somebody. 
She's miserable at home, so she craves company, which is probably why she wants to be with the in crowd. She lives in Queens, but wants to make it to Manhattan. End quote. I think that comes across very strongly, this effort to escape, oh. you know, to try to be with people who do care about her, respect her. Whether or not that's particularly um, surface level or not, as it probably is in high school, you know, as soon as Flash shows up, she becomes almost a totally different person. She puts on this mask of this like bubbly it girl. Exactly. You can uh, you can hear the you can hear her voice change. I mean, like yeah. it's just th- this affectation that she has there. It's very interesting when she's going from that heart to heart with Peter to almost again like kind of putting on a facade or kind of putting on an act for Flash. Like, oh yeah. Hey, Flash, I love your car. You know, I love that you're a muscular jock. You know, you're the popular guy, you know, but she can't really be herself around him. She can't be honest with him about like her upbringing, about her circumstances, about what her hopes and dreams are, about why she's worried about those hopes and dreams, the way she can be with Peter. So she's popular and that helps her get by in high school, but she it, it comes almost at the cost or that she's just not able to be herself in the way that maybe she would want to be, or at least the way she can be when it's just her and Peter. Yeah. I know in the behind the scenes book, uh, Kirsten Dunst says some interesting things about, you know, MJ's making decisions about her life and not being true to her heart. She says um, she does have this journey of, you know, quote, being insecure and trying to get out of her hard family life. So she covers up by dating Flash, the cool football player. Mm -hmm. And later she starts dating Harry because he has money and seems the kind of guy to date. But she's not happy with him either. Um, So like MJ is really doing things more of out of like, I don't know, I suppose self-preservation or, you know, things that seem like they're going to help her escape. But the one person that she can open up with and be so honest with uh, is Peter. You know, she shares about her you know, aspirations to be an actor and, you know, she's, you know, moving out to the big city, you know, going to make it on Broadway. Um, and it's not easy. It's a big struggle. Well, we, we, we clearly see that over the next couple of movies, how much of a struggle it really is. Sure. But even, I mean, right from the get-go, you know, Peter not only encourages her to follow her dreams, yeah. he also sees like when it doesn't work out immediately for her, he's constantly there to encourage her when things don't work out as planned. And she obviously works hard at it. She's constantly hunting down acting jobs. You know, she's holding down a job at a diner. Um pay for her apartment in the city which she's a little bit embarrassed about but it's almost like that that's not embarrassing at all it's like the fact that she's out of that house she's on her own is holding down a job while hunting you know for acting work I mean I think that's I mean I know she relates it back to Harry that oh he wouldn't like it if he knew that she were waiting tables but I also think that again that's another example of her being honest and able to share something with Peter that she doesn't share with many others or if anybody else even then of course she didn't really want to have to admit it to Peter you know, because she she constantly does seem like she needs to to prove something to to show that she's worth something, you know, because because of how, you know, traumatic her life growing up was, you know, the mm-hmm. way she thinks about herself. But then when it does come to it with Peter, Peter is more than, you know, encouraging about it. You know, he said, that, well, that's that's fine. You know, that's you have a job. That's great. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You're still working toward what you want to do, you know, in this this doesn't make you any less for it. As we talked about, though, her acting career does start to take off a little bit in the second movie. Yeah. She gets she gets a role in that production of The Importance of Being Earnest. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in Spider-Man 3, she gets the... Initially, she gets the starring role in Manhattan Memories before, you know, a, an unfavorable review sort of um, 
makes her career take a little bit of a hit. Yeah, she ends up having to basically backtrack to where she was in Spider-Man 1. You know, she's back to, you know, working at a restaurant. Only this time, you know, she has a slight advantage of at least being able to sing, but um, still not where she wants to be by any stretch. No, no. But I would say that working at a jazz club is a little bit better than like a train car diner. I mean, I think that's a little bit classier, but still definitely not where she wants yeah. to be. I, I agree with that pretty, 100%. Pretty big backtrack from Broadway. Yeah, yeah uh, no doubt. No doubt about that. From starring in a musical on Broadway to working at a restaurant. Because, I mean, you need the work. I mean, obviously she needs the work. Yeah. But, um, you know, she's sort of back to clawing her way up the ladder again. And, and like Kirsten Dunn says, like MJ's doing these things that I think she feels are expected of her. That like she feels are the ways to move up, to look. I, I think she's constantly in this thing where she feels like she needs to try to prove herself. And like, yeah, dating the rich kid will do that. Dating the football jock will do that. And then certainly, you know, dating this superhero will do that. Yeah, that's true. It's like she's trying to prove something to herself and to others, like by dating men of high stature. And every boyfriend, fiance uh, that we see in these movies is is high up in some way. You know, yeah. Flash is like the football jock, the popular kid at school, muscular, has the cool car, has uh, at the time, you know, the popular hairstyle with frosted tips. I mean, he's he's clearly, you know, somebody that's, <laughs> you know, the epitome of what high school men wanted to be in the late 90s, early 2000s. And their relationship doesn't seem to be particularly deep. They break up pretty quickly. In fact, at graduation. Yeah, your loss, as, as Flash tells her. <laughs> yeah, kind of tell, again, that, that, perfectly illustrates the kind of guy, the kind of guy that he is. You know, what, what a narcissist bag. Yeah. <laughs> Not too long after that, she starts dating uh, Harry Osborne. He's rich. You know, he's the son of a very powerful industrial magnate. And we do definitely get a little bit of an indication that Harry is interested in her too. When he makes a move with the whole spiders maneuver. It's interesting because, you know, I'm sure many people have heard of the bro code and certainly there's <laughs> all these ideas about, you know, if two got two friends, two guy friends are crushing on the same girl who gets to do what? But I would say that the consensus from what I've read is that Harry undoubtedly broke the bro code there by, <laughs> you know, asking out the girl that his best friend had a crush on. You know, that's a bro code violation. I mean, Harry tells Peter, you know, he didn't make a move. But uh, we don't see a lot of their relationship. And what we do see, uh, it generally doesn't make the relationship look like it's all that great. No. Um, we see them at the World Unity Day Festival together. We see the very awkward Thanksgiving dinner. We oh, see... Yeah. Harry's idea of trying to cheer up Mary Jane is just buying her stuff, not, mm -hmm. you know, actually talking to her about what happened. Yeah. And uh, it, it doesn't seem like a particularly great relationship. Certainly Mary Jane's heart isn't in it. And um, being saved by Spider-Man at the Unity Festival from the Muggers definitely uh, has her infatuated with somebody else. But there's John Jameson, you know, an astronaut, somebody that's been to space. My son, the astronaut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first first guy to play football on the moon, for, for pity's sake. And then, of course, uh, dating Spider-Man. All of these men are at the top of the social ladder in one way or another. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I think for what it's worth, uh, the relationships that she had with Flash and Harry both were, I'd say, dysfunctional, or at least they weren't fulfilling. But then the one she had with John Jameson, I think, was... A, a lot more functional. Maybe it, it wasn't perfect, but I think at least John Jameson seemed to really love her for who she was. You know, we don't really see a whole lot of that relationship, but definitely John seems to be pretty happy mm -hmm. with her. It's just that Mary Jane, once again, has her mind on somebody else. Well, I think it's the same thing. Like, she's trying to figure out, like, where is my place in all of this? Like, especially once Peter's like, well, I, I can't be there for you at that point in the movie. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. I think she constantly feels like she needs 
to be something. And the way to show that is to date somebody who is something. Yeah. She's constantly looking for some sort of, you know, validation. That's one of the ways that she does it. And, you know, I think we definitely see that that's something that drives most of her decision, a lot of her decisions in these movies. Do you think, though, in Spider-Man 2 with um, with John Jameson, that she was at least in part dating and then engaged to him just to kind of make Peter a little bit jealous? You know, I don't know if she necessarily wants to make him feel bad. I think she just sort of wants to try to spur him on to realize, like, you know, where do you stand, Peter? She really wants a definite answer. Yeah, she just wants to prompt him to finally have a reckoning with her about where they stand. That's the better way to put it. I I don't think, you know, there's nothing malicious about it. I just think she's clearly trying to motivate him, though, to figure out what he feels about her. Yeah, in the interwoven, the women of Spider-Man, a little behind-the-scenes feature on Spider-Man 2, Kirsten Dunst says, this film, Peter's kind of off in his own world doing his own thing, and he's not a reliable person in her life. He's kind of been out of it for a while, and they've grown up a lot, even though it's only been two years. And to that point, you know, Laura Ziskin, uh, a producer of the movie, she says, too, like, she's just at a crossroads where she can move on, and I think she looks over her shoulder to see, can Peter come along with her, or is she going to have to give him up forever? So, like, yeah, I think she's, she really wants to sort of push Peter, because Peter does seem so indecisive. He constantly, like, oh, boy, yeah. He's like, oh, boy, what? You know, like, nothing. You know, like, well, come on, Peter. She just doesn't know what to make of it. Um, and to that point, let's... Let's dive into that love story a little bit. Let's, yes. Let's focus on that. Because obviously the movies hinge on this whole, you know, will they, won't they sort of thing for the first two movies. And it's this big melodramatic relationship. And yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes it's it's seen, it's interpreted as being sort of like a fairly flimsy relationship, you know, kind of unrealistic. Um, it's very heightened and almost mythical in a way, you know, this unrequited love trope. You know, the love that cannot be. I mean, because she's literally the girl next door. Peter has this classical, poetic, unrequited love to her where, you know, he's duty-bound not to speak his feelings. You know, for one reason or another. First, it's because (laughs) of the bro code, like we said with Harry. You know, first, it's just because he's too shy, really. And then because of the bro code. And As a famous uh, (laughs) toy dinosaur once said, I just don't think I could take that kind of rejection. (laughs) So, you know, so I'll bet you that's a big part of why he never told her anything, because he was afraid that she would reject him. Yeah. And frankly, you know, before he got his powers, I would have to speculate that would probably be true. Yeah, like, I'm sure she'd be nice about it, but I I think she just yeah. wouldn't. No, she wouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. Like, it wouldn't make sense to her. Like, oh, I, I don't think so. This doesn't seem like the right path that would be expected yeah. of me. That would, like, look the best. Well, Especially in high school when, like, that social yeah. hierarchy is everything. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're a friend group, you know, that's what you live or die on on any, on, uh, any given day, so. So, yeah, I think it's fair to question, like, what is it then, you know, that attracts Peter to MJ, despite just being, like, you know, the girl that he's grown up next door to that he, you know, sort of knows the most in her being a conventionally attractive young woman. Peter mentioned at the age of six that it, you know, he thought Mary Jane looked like an angel. So yeah. from his very first, literally from his very first glance, there was something about her that was endearing and that drew him to her. But it's, it's, it's more than that. I mean, a lot of aspects of Mary Jane's personality, I think, really you know, draw him to her as well. And I think a big part of it is that she's just a good person like Peter. You know, she she cares and she's responsible. You know, she has a certain power 
that comes with being in, in a popular circle. And she's not afraid of like losing her popularity by standing up for Peter multiple times in just the short time we see them yeah. in a high school setting in the first movie. You know, whether it's with the bus driver or in the halls where he and Flash are getting into a fight. So like she she has a sense of responsibility, you know, justice even, you know, fairness, you know, fairness and goodness. And I'm sure that appeals to Peter. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Peter also sort of envies the at least the appearance of confidence that she can put on. Yeah. Like Peter can't even muster like fake confidence in in himself, you know? And yet MJ constantly seems comfortable in her skin. Like she has things in control. And you know, for as much as MJ does have trouble valuing herself, it seems, and you know, she's looking for some sort of validation, she still manages to not be a doormat. You know, it ultimately looks like she's the one that breaks off with Flash. You know, she is more or less the one that breaks off with Harry. You know, she certainly tells off Harry after he failed to stand up for her with his father. She'll she'll stand up to the bus driver. She stands up to Doc Ock, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, so like she she does have a certain sense of confidence to her. Some of what she puts on is a mask, but I mean, some of that is is real and inherent i think and i think peter definitely envies some of that respects it really appreciates it and they've just known each other a long time too like we said that he's constantly been you know her neighbor and like we've extrapolated they seem to have been friends growing up they know each other in a way that really nobody else does you know and they've seen parts of each other's lives that no one else has and i think you know she speaks to that in a way when she she's kind of declaring her love for him and how she wants to be with him and you know, tells Peter that, um, you know, when I was up there on the on top of the bridge with the goblin and I thought I was about to die, there was only one person on my mind and it was you. Yeah. So certainly having that near-death experience with Goblin helped clarify her feelings about Peter in a way. You know, life is short. You know, you, I don't know what could happen to me, but what I do know is Peter has always been there for me. He loves me for who I am. I want to be with him. Mm-hmm. Like that was all she could think about when she was about to die, when her life was about to end. All she thought about was essentially the missed opportunities she had to be with Peter. Yeah, I mean, here's the interesting thing to me. Again, I keep referring to this great behind-the-scenes book, but in it, Kirsten Dunn says, MJ has this obsession crush thing with Spider-Man. He gives her feelings she's never had before. He makes her feel like a woman instead of a girl. Like we said, that goes along with how she's looking for somebody or something that elevates her. And then it's 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 not until later on that it really finally clicks with her that Peter does the same thing. You know, we see throughout the movie how much Peter supports her, encourages her with the acting. He's there for her when it doesn't work out. He's like so deeply honest about his feelings with her during their hospital scene, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and how much that she affects him. And I get the impression that no one's ever been that honest, you know, with their raw feelings with her before, especially as concerns her. And I think that's when she realizes... (laughs) Well, considering at that point her previous two boyfriends were Flash and Harry, uh, yeah, I don't see either one of them coming up with anything quite so eloquent. (laughs) No, and so I think like that's when she realizes, when she's on the bridge and everything, I think that's when things finally sort of line up. Because who knows, maybe she would have said something, you know, on that note... Immediately after Peter spoke his feelings in the hospital, if they weren't uh, interrupted by Harry. And really, it does sort of feel like her declaration 
at the graveyard does seem like the a follow-up to what Peter was saying directly. Mm-hmm. I think there's an interesting parallel in their love monologues to each other when Peter's talking in the hospital, and he says, you know, the truth is, you don't know what you feel except you know what kind of man you want to be. And then MJ sort of parallels that a little bit when she's talking to Peter uh, at the graveyard. She says, the truth is, I love you. you know, I love you so much, Peter. And so there's sort of a, I like that link between their the parallels of them revealing their inner selves to each other that intimately. So I think it's not until like then when everything starts clicking together for her and realizing that the way Spider-Man makes me feel is the same way that Peter makes me feel. Hmm. I think that's really a huge part of the the connection with the kiss that they have. On the one hand, I'm sure that she, you know, maybe literally recognizes Peter, Peter's kiss in both times. But I think another thing is just it's sort of a visual way, I think, to represent to us that both people just sort of make her feel the same way. All the things she felt about how Spider-Man, you know, made her feel, Peter does that. Hmm. And Peter's more real and close to her than Spider-Man is. Um, from, from the behind-the-scenes book, again, Kirsten Dunn says, Sam and I wanted to create a superhero for the girls. We wanted them to watch MJ and realize that they can be true to themselves, that they don't have to pretend for anybody. It isn't until MJ faces death at the hands of the Green Goblin that she realizes Peter loves her for who she is, that he believes in her and not the facade she was trying to put on to please other people. I think Mary Jane is freed at that moment. Hmm. Yeah, everything clicks for her. I mean, she sees Peter's there, the good times, the bad times. He's checking up on seeing how uh, you know her addition's going. You know, He cares. And uh, he many times sees the worst of her life and her situation. and. Um, is willing to to listen and help however he can at this point. But so then we move on, of course, you know, when Peter says he can't be with her romantically, you know, he can only be a friend. And uh, that starts to really disappoint MJ come the events of Spider-Man 2. He vowed to always be there when she needed him. And then he's got these inexplicable perpetual disturbances that keep coming up. I mean, that confuses her and it hurts her. You know, like she tells him in Spider-Man 2, like, I don't know you. It gets to the point where Peter's just as bad as anyone else. And so, of course, she starts moving on. Uh, she's trying to be an adult. She's trying to grow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's basically lets go of these sort of childish fantasies that, you know, as she sees them. You know, like Peter says something about, like, a hilltop wedding. And she said, no, I'm getting married in a church. You know, I'm doing things like a responsible adult. I need to live here in the real world. Yeah, and... We see how hurt she is when Peter's not in his chair for her play. She mentions to him that even like her father and mother who, you know, have had their problems with her one way or another were still there. You know, Harry went multiple times. Aunt May Aunt went. May went. You know, like everybody that was important in her life was there except for him. And that really, that really helps put some distance between them in the second movie. And, you know, Peter, in his mind, his, his idea to try to get her back is uh, reciting poetry, which, mm. you know, she doesn't seem to be uh, too receptive toward but you know peter seems to have this idea in his head that like it's like a sitcom or like a a, a rom-com or something where he can just go to her house and recite poetry and bam like yeah everything's fixed but it's it doesn't work that way well peter does continue to live a little bit in this fantasy world and i think interestingly enough the film opens with this ideal image of her like the first shot we see is mj on a poster on the left side of the screen beautiful haunting you know mysterious image for a perfume ad 
and it's not real. I mean, all the more so because it's an advertisement and like a beauty advertisement at that, you know, notoriously good at misrepresenting reality. And that's what Peter sees. That's what he lives with every day. You know, that, that image follows him throughout this movie, this sort of perfect, unattainable beauty, you know, this ideal. And then the movie ends with, you know, MJ on the opposite side of the screen, the real MJ, looking sad, you know, looking human, you know, the real her. And within that whole movie, MJ is constantly, I think, trying to distance herself from that unreal nature of love. Like we said, Peter's out there with poetry. Well, in the Spider-Man 2.1 scene, where she's talking with one of her friends as they're going shopping, she says that she, she's grown up, basically. Her friend keeps telling her all these things about, like, you know, you need to, like, have passion. Like, you can't just say, I love him very much. It needs to be so much deeper and all-consuming than that. But she tells her friend, like, that's, you read too many love stories. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy that I told you about, that was a fantasy. And we don't live, we don't live in fantasy. So she rejects all this fantasy romance that surrounds her. Peter's stuck in this, you know, basically trope of unrequited love, looking for poetry. Uh, you know, he has this ideal image of her. and. She's this real person in the world trying to do something real. Yeah. Once they get together by the end, we sort of continue to dig into this idea of, you know, expectations versus reality in Spider-Man 3. Mm-hmm. You know, once they're actually a couple, that's when the hard work really starts. Exactly. And the movie sort of opens up with a little bit of a continuation of that fanciful romance that they had, you know. Peter's finally there for one of the plays. Mm-hmm. You know, they have this romantic night, you know, on a on a web hammock looking yeah. out at the at the shooting stars. I mean, it couldn't get more romantic. And mm-hmm. they're saying, tell me you love me. Oh, I love you so much. You know, it's cute, but it's it is a little it's a little thin, you know, as far as a relationship goes. Yeah. You know, MJ spells out her expectations, what she wants in life, which is, you know, to sing on Broadway stage you know, with Peter in the first row and Peter's proud to do that. And we get just a taste of that. You know, we see them get to do that. But, you know, as time goes on, you know, the movie ends, it's bookended again with a reality. You know, sort of like Spider-Man 2 opened up with the ideal MJ and then the real MJ at the end. We have this ideal expectation at the beginning and at the end, uh, MJ is singing on stage, but it's at this this jazz club. Peter is in the first row, but, you know, circumstances are different it's not what they imagined but i also feel like by the end of the third movie that their relationship in a way is stronger because it was no doubt tested in that third movie when peter oh yeah it was certainly under the influence of the symbiote you know he gets angry and you know actually hits her and just jeez yeah i think their relationship was tested in that movie in a way that i think it actually did make it a lot stronger it it added a lot of depth to it yeah which i think is good because they you know they know now that like well you know, we've moved on beyond just this initial infatuation. Yeah. And we actually have this history now. We actually have this this trial that we've been through, and we came out stronger for it. Mm-hmm. Not that, not, it's not good that he hit her. It's not good that oh, he no. got so angry with her. No, but I mean, it's even, even the hitting her was an accident, yeah. in fairness. But showing up at her place of work to emotionally destroy her, yeah. you know, as bad as anything her dad probably ever did in terms of emotional abuse. I mean, that was that was completely intentional. Exactly. Uh, but also, t- in Peter's defense, he wasn't quite himself. He was under the influence of that alien organism that was certainly 
distorting his way of thinking and his ability to understand the consequences of his actions. That's not to but, let you know, him off I the... still have to blame Peter, though. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I can't no, cut I, too I, much I, slack because that's no, all no. an extension of it is. his real feelings. It, you know? it is. It's just amplifying what was already there. I'm, I'm, not let, I'm not letting him off the hook, but I am... You know, I, I think it wouldn't have been maybe as dramatic as it was, you know, without the symbiote, but yeah, certainly... Yeah. And, and MJ has such, you know, I, I don't like a resilience to that even, you know, I mean, she believes in Peter enough that these awful things Peter's done, that's not the real him. He's been going through a hard time, you know, maybe he's, things have been going too well for him as Spider-Man and at the same time, really terrible for him as Peter because of the recent revelations about his uncle's killer. You know, MJ has this line that's cut from the movie but it's in the trailer, the Spider-Man 3 trailer, that I think about a lot. I think it's very powerful. You know, in this cut scene, she tells Harry, we've all done terrible things to each other, but we have to forgive each other, or everything we ever were will mean nothing. And I think that's such an incredible and powerful line, you know, for MJ to say. I, I, absolutely. Her depth for forgiveness is pretty immense because certainly yeah. I, I think a, a lot of people understandably after going through what what she went through at the club that night would never want to see him again you know or no interest in getting back together giving him another chance so I think her capacity I for mean if forgiveness, it was anybody else exactly yeah, if it was anybody exact, else absolutely that's I would never want to see that absolutely you're right if it was any other boyfriend not a second thought yeah. but but because it was Peter because she knew that something there's that core of a good person there it's just for some reason it's not coming through that's why she was willing yeah, to I mean, sort of... Yeah, he is good boy. Must be in some kind of trouble. You know, and, that, and that's it. People that know Peter know he's a good person, but he's going through a terrible time, and he expresses it horribly. Yeah. And she's willing to stick it out with him, which, you know, there's a lot of trust required there. And like, like I said, if it was anybody else, that I think that, that's a terrible decision, really, to make. And you know what? It's just, the more we talk about this, honestly, like, I really like their relationship now by the end of Spider-Man 3, because... Again, I think there's just so much more depth to it now. Yeah. After going through just such a, a trying series of events, I think like the fact that they're still making it work and they're still giving it another chance, because a common criticism of these movies is that their relationship is very, it, it seems fake. It doesn't seem real. But honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, now that we're talking about it, Peter, I really think their relationship by the end of Spider-Man 3 it, it, I just really, really like the amount of depth that it has. I know I keep saying that, but I just... It just feels different. It feels a lot more real. It feels a lot more battle-tested. It feels a lot yeah. more... It just feels like they've earned it, basically. That's what it comes down to for me. It's like, I feel like when they first get together, it's like, it just doesn't feel real, or it doesn't feel like anything substantial. But then it's like, by the end of that third movie, they've really earned it. They've really earned that bond they have, like, you now that they've been through this very... And not just like Peter's outburst at the club that night, but just everything, you know, with Harry's death, with the, the final battle against Sandman and Venom, just everything they've been through in that third movie really brings them closer together by the end of it because Peter has redeemed himself in her eyes. By the end of that third movie, their relationship is probably... They're going to work on it. Yeah, it's not, it's not perfect. Keep it's, trying. it's not perfect, yeah. but they've realized that, exactly. you know what, it's going to take work, but we if we can survive this, we can, we can probably survive almost anything as long as we have that trust and that respect and that, you know, admiration for each other and that love, I mean, they can really, I mean, they, they say love conquers all. And certainly that's the kind of the indication we get by the end of that third movie that uh, there, that's not to say that it all is forgiven or that, you know, everything's hunky dory, but certainly they really have 
something in that relationship that it lacked earlier. Like, you know, you were just saying how at the beginning of that third movie, it seems shallow. It seems a little thin. It seems a little superficial. It seems just very puppy dog love. By the end of that movie, that's no longer true. They've entered reality. And I mean, what what is so bittersweet about that final scene? It's wordless, you know, very powerful. It's all, you know, just through their emotions and their facial expressions. But as they end hanging on to each other, slowly dancing, I mean, there's a real sadness to it. You know, I mean, like you said, not it's not hunky-dory. They've been through some stuff, and they know that there's going to be a lot ahead of them. But they're going to make this work. They're going to hang together, and they're going to try to overcome these obstacles. And uh, I think I think Peter definitely has a lot to make reparations for. I think he has a lot to sort of try to get back to the person he once was. He has a lot of atoning to do. There's no question about yeah. it. Yeah. And, you know, like, and you can sort of see that on their face that you know, they, they, they lost a, a friend who was close to both of them. The world is not what they expected it would be back in Spider-Man 1. But they do have each other. And despite it all, Peter's going to try to be better. They're going to try to make this work. and. There is like a, a really bittersweet sort of reality to that, you know, and these movies are basically about growing up. Yep. I was and just thinking the same thing earlier. That's how... where we end up there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Their relationship by the end of that third movie has grown up. It's matured in a lot of ways. You know, it's not hundred percent perfect, but they're definitely working at it. Like, you know, being in a relationship with real problems and working on them together is a lot more compelling to me. That to me, that is more meaningful and interesting than... You know, like Peter in Spider-Man 2, this fanciful reciting poetry and yeah. weddings on a hill, all of that uh, mumbo jumbo that he has in his head. And Spider-Man 3, it's, it doesn't end on that dour of a note, but it does suggest that it's it's hard. Relationships are hard work and it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of maturity to make them work. And they're and they're doing that. They're doing that hard work. And I think that's mm. again, that's what I like. Yeah. That's what I kind of take a little bit of a uh, little bit of hope from a little bit of optimism. Yeah, and significantly, too. I mean, that's the one of the three movies that doesn't end with Peter swinging away at the end. Yeah. Swinging away from MJ. Hmm. She is, at this moment, as he promised before, the most important thing in his life. That's the note that we end on. And that's beautiful. It's a beautiful ending. Absolutely. Well, so now we've reached the end of this episode, and Sean and I know what that means, but I know (laughs) not everyone here does. And that means it's time for us to play another game called... We are who we choose to be. That's the thing about hosting a Raimi Spider-Man podcast, is you never know when some lunatic is going to come along with a sadistic choice. And that, for some reason, happens to us at the end of every episode here. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one. (laughs) Okay, Sean. Well, would you rather catch the matinee performance of The Importance of Being Earnest? Or of Manhattan Memories? Ah, I mean, I don't really know anything about the importance of being earnest. I think you mentioned it was written by Oscar Wilde. Is that Mm -hmm, correct? mm -hmm. Yep. I'd rather see that one. I mean, I know Oscar Wilde is a very interesting uh, individual. I know he wrote some good stuff. I don't don't know anything about what he wrote, but I I know of him. So I would want to see his play and give it a chance. Just give it a chance. (laughs) And I don't know if, like, given the choice of, like, musicals are necessarily the first thing you would check out i no, i like musicals like i like um i really liked grease i really loved uh footloose um we both did a little bit of uh stagehand work back in our day yep so i I mean i do like musicals but no i i I guess i would pick the first one i would pick the importance of being earnest i'd agree too yeah i've seen some college productions of 
importance of being earnest, and it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty funny. It's also pretty interesting the topics it brings up. So, so okay, all right. So you've you've chosen. You've made your choice. You've seen how a podcast host is rewarded. So, <laughs> so here's my would you rather. All right. Would you rather be the bouncer at the jazz club in Spider Man Three who has the Unfortunate task of throwing out Peter when he's in his uh, symbiote-induced rage. Mm. You know, you're hit and injured by Spider-Man, but you're later awarded a nice cash sum in exchange for waiving any potential legal claims. <laughs> or would you rather be the caterer for the aborted Jameson wedding in Spider-Man 2 who has to put the caviar away and you're not physically roughed up, but you lose a lot of profit because you're not uh, serving the meal to, to that uh, large wedding party anymore? Oh, dang. <laughs> Um, that depends, I guess. Did Deborah open the caviar yet? You know, because if she already opened <laughs> it, I mean, the Jamesons are paying for it, right? Well, let's just assume that if the wedding doesn't go through, that uh, the caterer doesn't get paid. So mm. think of it this way. Either you're the, you're the bouncer that gets beat up by Spider-Man, but you get a pretty nice cash sum for it. Or you uh, don't get beat up by anybody, but you lose a lot of money because you bought a lot of food for a wedding that doesn't take place. So I get beat up, but I gain something, or I don't get beat up, and I lose something. I mean, I really don't want to be hit with a symbiote-enhanced, spider-blooded individual, but if, I don't know, maybe it's worth it for a nice sum. <laughs> I would say it's in the six figures. That sounds pretty good, and I can say, hey, I got beat up by this weird emo guy, but exactly. I got some cash for it. I mean, you, 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 would, you wouldn't even believe it. This guy, I don't know how he got to the piano before <laughs> I knew it. He was just playing the piano. He was dancing on the piano, <laughs> swinging from the lights. And all of a sudden, I know he's causing trouble. And then he beats me up. But hey, you know, it worked out. I, 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 got, to, I, got, I got paid, so it's all right. So I have a good story, too. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, like another example of like the hero of his own story where like, you know, the bouncer's point of view. Like, who is this guy? I was like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, that's what I'll do. Yeah, I, I, I'd be the bouncer. Okay, well, that's... Uh... That's a, what about you? Neat, ah, boy, not so easy, is it? No, I'd, I would take the I would take the money. I yeah. mean, then again, be, getting beat up by Spider Man is not fun. But like, I mean, you know, between Jonah and his wife, being a caterer involved in a wedding with them would have to be a very difficult endeavor as well. well that's a fair. You're probably point. getting beat up there just just in a different way. So, <laughs> um, well. The thing about these episodes is that there's always so much to say. You know, Sean, I can't. I can't tell you everything. I mean, there's there's so much to tell. So much to tell. As Peter and MJ say at the end of the movie, and that's our motto here. I mean, we could just keep going and going, but we have to end at some point. But we will have more to talk about, and even more, and more, and more, because there's there's so much to tell here. But until then, we hope you enjoyed hanging out with us, and you know, hopefully we all learned something. I think you... Uh, had some interesting insights that I experienced for the first time, Sean. I, I, I would agree, Peter. I, I, I would agree 100%. I definitely, so I definitely feel like I'm walking away from this with an appreciation for something that I didn't have before. And I think that's, that's, all, that's always time well spent. And hey, anyone out there, if you're in the neighborhood, you can take two buses and a cab to Twitter at SMTT Podcast. That's SMTT Podcast, as in So Much to Tell Podcast. And let us know what some of your insights or thoughts are. Share with us there. If you like more, you can join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Two weeks. <laughs> but until next time, Godspeed, God Spider fans. fans. That's good.